0: All right, good morning. Hey, the rain didn't keep some of you out. I appreciate that. Who here woke up this morning and said, oh, I've got to sleep in today? Because I've heard some of you already say it. Well, when do we have people out today? We have, we have quite a few out. It's not, not a problem. We're here, uh, like Brother Mike said earlier, when two are gathered in his name, right? Two or more. So I appreciate that, Mike, uplifting words, brother. Hey, you know what? Today's sermon is, uh, it's a good one. I like it. You know, we're still in the book of James. We're in uh, James chapter 2. If you're not there, turn to James chapter 2, please. And um, it's interesting. We're going to be talking about, well, the title of today's message is Faith and Works. And we're going to be talking about these because people really get this confused. And I'm sorry, majority of mainstream religion, the religious practices in this, around the globe, can't understand faith and works. And I'm going to go over that. But today, we're going to read James chapter 2. If everybody look at verse 14, I want to read 14 through 26 with you. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone can say he has faith but does not have works? Can uh, Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. What a question. Verse 14, what a question. Can that kind of faith save him? That faith. What faith? What kind? It seems that James here, with the question, is expecting a negative answer in response, doesn't it? He's expecting a negative answer. Well, let's talk about faith for just a quick sec. We know that faith is a key doctrine in Christianity can't get around that. We know it is. We are saved by faith. We walk by faith. We know without faith it is impossible to please God. So why is James so concerned about works? Why does he bring so much attention to works? The reader has to begin to understand here, what is the relationship James, what are you doing? Because we know what Paul says about it, and we're going to talk about what Paul says. But James, I don't understand. What is the relationship between faith and works? Well, let me ask you a question. Should faith affect the behavior of a believer? Think about that to yourself. Should faith affect the behavior of a believer? I like this in verse 14. It says, what good is it? If you go down to verse 16, uh, See where it says after he explains um, his, his example here about the poorly person, uh, poor person clothed, right? In verse, the bottom of verse 16 it says, What good is that? I love that he repeats this. What good is it? What good is that? Again, it seems that we're going to get a negative response to this question. And that's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point for us to understand that there is going to be a negative response to this. We're talking about empty words. Look at verse 17 with me real quick. Just look at verse 17. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I'll go back to uh, 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then verse 17, right? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We had, last week, or yeah, last week I believe it was We talked about the sin of partiality where two people enter the room, right, our sanctuary here, and we're seeing a rich person and we're seeing a poor person. We've identified them, right? Shabby clothing, beautiful ring, right? We can identify poor and rich. The next step in that was what is the treatment? Well, what James is here, he's piggybacking on that. What if we had someone enter or someone's outside our doors and they're cold? It's cold. And they're not clothed properly. And they're hungry. They need food. And we walk by and say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I just want you to know. I do hope you get warm, and I do hope that you find food. I hope your belly gets full, and you say, God bless you, and keep walking. James is saying, whoa, what kind of faith is that? What is it? That's what he's talking about. These are empty words, you know? It's further illustrating what we call dead faith. Without works. Without works is dead. Now, please note here, guys, please note this. James is not saying that faith plus works, faith plus works equals salvation. Many, many religions, the big ones too now, cultic practices, you name it, are all faith plus works. Christianity is faith alone. It's not faith with an addition of works. Works do not need to be added for a person to be saved, okay? The language used here is that either faith has or does not have works. It is either living or it is dead, okay? I need that pointed out. Oh, I like what James does here. I like what he does. He creates, creates this imaginary opponent, this rhetorical opponent, okay? He says, uh, with, almost with an argument, right? See, James is saying that faith, to this imaginary opponent, faith cannot be demonstrated apart from action. This is what he's arguing. To show faith apart from works is impossible. Have you ever thought about this? Well, I have great faith. Well, can you demonstrate it? Well, no. Just believe me that I have great faith. Well, no, I need a demonstration. I need need to see evidence of this wonderful faith you have. Well, just trust me, it's there. A lot of people do this with God. A lot of people do this with God. James is saying, faith apart from works is impossible. And he gives us some of the best explanations so that we are without excuse. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, it states this. It says that some are gonna have faith, aren't they? Some say, I have faith, you have works. But here's the issue. Here's the issue with people that believe this. I have great faith. Well, I do, I do works. It, both are really good. God accepts both. Or either or. Here's the issue. Understanding faith and works. It seems that the Bible is in contradiction. This is what skeptics and those that would like to attack Scripture say. Oh, the Bible, it contradicts itself. Paul and James. See, Paul is saying one thing, and James is saying another. So it looks like there's a contradiction. Right. For instance, in understanding the word or the meaning of justified and context within Paul's text versus James, you begin to see, oh, there may be a little com- conflict here. There might be some tension. When actually, they complement each other. They complement each other. And I have biblical proof that they complement each other so that you and I, when we are sharing Christ with another person, and this issue ever comes up, you can say, oh no, let me explain the relationship between faith and works. Because people will come at you and go, well, I do good deeds. I do good deeds. I had the most horrible boss years ago. And he said to me every day, he goes, you know what though? I try to do one good thing a day, to keep myself in with God. I try to do one good thing each day. But I see, your, I see the evidence of your life everywhere else. How does that affect the one good thing? I didn't get it. He was a works-based person. So I really want us to understand what justified is from Paul's perspective and James, because it clears it up. Let me read some verses that people use to say, wow, the Bible's wrong. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We're going to pull it up for you guys. For by grace, y'all know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a result of works. Okay, Paul, we got you. Romans 3.28, here's a biggie. Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let's look in, uh, go back to verse 17, guys. James 2.17, look at that verse with me. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's telling faith, apart from works, is useless. Okay, so who's right? Is Paul right? Is James right? I'm confused now. Is it faith or is it works? Well, all these verses are correct. All these verses are right. What we have to understand is that James is not talking about a genuine saving faith. He is talking about a self-declared faith. We have to remember that the book of James is all about spiritual maturity. We started that from day one. Spiritual maturity, our growth as we mature, as we become perfected. But James is also about the warning. And you guys should remember this. We've talked about this a couple times prior to today. The warning of self-deception. Boy, can we deceive ourselves. This thing is very dangerous self-deception. Look, look at verse 1 again. Look at verse 1 again in chapter 2 here. I mean 14. I am so sorry. Look at verse 14. James doesn't say that a person in question has faith, does he? He's not saying that he has faith. No, the person is saying he has faith. That person is making claim that he has faith, just like the people that profess Christianity, that profess Lord, Lord, In Matthew 7.21, Matthew 7.21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. People can profess faith just like they can profess Christianity. It's invisible. I mean, how can I prove your faith? How can you prove mine if nothing is ever recognized? This is where we're going. Again, the kind of faith we are talking about is not genuine saving faith, but self-declared inadequate faith. The kind of faith that we see in first part of 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? That's what we're talking about. Now James gives us a wonderful example And I think it's a very good example of the poor person. Hey, can you please help me? I'm hungry. I'm poorly clothed. Can you please help me? I'm in great need. And we walk by. "Ah, You are in great need. And I wish you the best. I hope all this happens. Without exercising the faith that they profess. That's a great example. That's a wonderful example. But then he goes... And he talks about the demons. Let's go to this. He says, God is one. God is one. Now, demons believe this, folks. They believe in what we call monotheism. You know we believe in monotheism. God is one. We have one God. It's a Jewish statement of faith. Okay, It's a confession uh, that comes from the Shema within the Jewish culture. God is one. James is saying, that's great. Good for you. Well done. Because What's happening here is demons intellectually affirm monotheism. They have dead faith. But ladies and gentlemen, they acknowledge Christ. They even acknowledge his deity where there are many, many created humans that won't acknowledge Christ's deity. Demons will. Read the Bible and watch them fall prostrate. Watch them fall flat on their face. Watch them ask for permission. Watch them make the claim that he is the Son of God of the Most High. So he's talking about these demons. They have a dead faith. We know that a demon's faith, their belief in Christ, cannot save them. We agree on that, I'm sure. It cannot save them. So can they merely add works to this dead faith? Can that save them? Let's add some works. No, they cannot. They need a living faith that produces works and these works folks remember this these works are inherent in living faith he is not talking about faith and works here he's talking about inherent faith we're not adding it's not another ingredient to our christianity it's what comes out of our faith this is where james wants what james wants us to understand so he brings up demons hey <laughs> You believe God's one, so do the demons. And they shudder. They show emotion. They're terrified. Great fear. What are you doing? Is it just empty words? And then he says, foolish person, intellectually, can't understand. You don't get it. You're not grasping it. Foolish person. Do you want me to show you? I actually like the language James uses. It's probably my favorite part of James. I love the language he uses. Do you want me to show you? Are you calling me out? Because I'll show you. Oh, he pulls out the big guns. Father Abraham. He starts with Abraham. Now, I'm going to spend a little time on Abraham. So I want everybody just to kind of really grasp this. We're going to start in Romans. I think we'll pull it up. Romans 4, 1 through 5. Let me read this to you as you read along. It says this, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, are they? No, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, what we're hearing here is Paul's explaining what it is to be justified by faith versus works. Works, you're gonna get your due, you're gonna get paid for your works. This is a free gift. And this is where people get lost. Oh, they get lost in translation here. So I wanna break this down further using uh, some text from Genesis. Now, I'm gonna put Paul right here. Paul is talking about faith. He is talking about Abraham's belief. So follow me here. Abraham's belief. In Genesis 15, 5 through 6. Genesis 15, 5 through 6. He says this, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham got this credit. He got this deposit made. It was counted to him as righteousness because he believed. This is Paul explaining Abraham's belief. But then we move forward in Genesis to his works, where he is going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now this is where James is landing, This is James' area. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. We have Paul over here understanding the faith of Abraham when God first calls him out. Look at those stars. Just number them if you can. And then we have James over here talking about the works that revealed the faith that took place place earlier on. See, justified. Let's talk about that word because that's a word that's kind of throwing everybody off when they study Scripture. Paul, his primary way of explaining of what it is to be justified is being declared righteous by God, through faith. And you and I know this is through the atoning work of Jesus' sacrifice only. This is Paul's primary way here of explaining justification. You are declared righteous in God's eyes. And he's absolutely right. Absolutely right. James, his primary way of explaining justified are the works that demonstrate that someone has been justified, that someone has been declared right in God's eyes, declared righteous, works that provide evidence of a person's faith. So it's for you and I to be vindicated. It's for us to demonstrate. It's for us to show proof. I could tell you all day long, I gotta be the world's greatest brain surgeon. Trust me. I'll give you all the lingo, I'll give you all the language, I'll say all the long words. I am a brain surgeon. But if I never perform one brain surgery, have I given you any evidence to the skill set that I'm claiming? No. And I guarantee you, you, don't want me to operate on your brain. So we have to look at it in the most simplistic form when we try to understand demonstration. Because that's what James is all about here. He's not denying anything Paul is saying. And Paul is not denying anything James is saying. They actually complement each other. So, in other words, faith was active along with Abraham's works. It was completed by his works. And, of course, Scripture was filled when Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I just look back, look at 2 again, 22 and 23 this is important for us to go. It's verse 22. You see that faith was active. All along, faith has been active in Abraham's life, proving these works, proving his faith. And it says faith was completed by his works. You can't skip over that. It came full circle. It was completed. We see now the demonstration of the faith that you possessed and professed from the beginning. And the scripture was filled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember that deposit? Remember that credit that was made? It was counted to him? Well, here we see full circle by the attempt, right, on the sacrifice on Isaac. Here's the demonstration, and here it is completed now. That is what works are with faith. See, many scholars, oh, well, let me say this to you. See, Abraham's prior saving faith, this is important because sometimes we, 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 we miss this part. Abraham's saving faith was invisible. I know we read Abraham, oh, it's Father Abraham, he had many sons, right? Father Abraham, Father Abraham. But what happens is Abraham's faith was invisible until it showed itself. Until he demonstrated that faith. Folks, we're no different. My goodness, we can claim faith, can't we? But are we demonstrating? Are we demonstrating? Many scholars have made this claim. I want to get back to this. Faith alone is what saves. All of us would agree with that. That is biblical. Faith alone is what saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It is always, hear me, it is always accompanied by deeds that stem from faith. See, Abraham's obedience proved he was already saved. Have you ever proven to somebody you're saved other than saying the words? Think about it. Have you ever proved to somebody, I am a Christian, I am a saved man, I am a saved woman? And now let me show you, let me demonstrate. Talk about Rahab. I love that he brought, he has a man, he has a woman, wonderful examples. He talks about Rahab. Now, the background to this story you can find in the book of Joshua. Uh, Israel was about to take back their promised land. This was their land, they were going to take it back. And they were getting ready to attack the city of Jericho. We all know that story. So Joshua sent spies into this city to kind of get the lay of the land. I want to see what this is all about. Tell me about the people. Tell me about the structure. Let's let's see what this is all about. So he wanted to see what they were up against. They met a prostitute or a harlot named Rahab. Now you have to study the story to get all the details, but she ended up protecting them. See, Rahab did not have just some nominal faith. Okay, it wasn't just claimed by name only. She did not have nominal faith. She actually affirmed the God of Israel. She believed in the God of Israel. She knew her city was in great trouble, and the message she heard, she believed. The truth affected her. The truth actually affected Rahab. So as she sheltered these messengers who were in danger, okay, great danger, she not only responded with her mind, right, intellectually, but she responded with her will, meaning she acted. She did something about it. You ever been talking with somebody and they're complaining and complaining about this and that, and you're like, well, get up and do something about it. That's what James is trying to illustrate to us. Do something about it. Like Abraham, Rahab illustrated the relationship between faith and works. Saving faith. Faith involves something that can be recognized. Hear those words. Saving faith involves something that can be recognized, and of course, that is a changed life. It is a changed life. I want to read some verses for this. Not against, we're not contradicting anymore because the contradictions are gone. Listen to this, Galatians 5.6. Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is Paul. Did you hear that? Faith working through love, working through love. This is Paul's equivalent to James's idea of faith having works, as we see in verse 14. It is the equivalent to what James is saying there is no contradiction. Because we know what that means, faith working through love. I got another verse. First John 3:16 through 18. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Look at verse, again, look at verses 14 through 16. Everybody go back to James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then we see in 1 John, guess what? If you're not sharing these world's goods, if you're not seeing this brother in need, how does the love of God abide in you? Let us not love in word or talk empty. Empty. But indeed in truth. This this actually reaffirms that we're talking about faith and works in a relationship where faith comes back, uh, excuse me, where works comes back and completes faith. This is a this is a verse we should pray. This is to be a part of our prayer. 2 Corinthians 9:8. 2 Corinthians 9:8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency. In all things, at all times, you may abound in what? Every good work. Now, earlier I read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved. We know that. We know what Paul's talking about, don't we? It's grace. That's the reason you've been saved, not by work, so you can't boast. It's a gift. We know that. But if you went on to Ephesians two ten, it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is Paul speaking. Created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what James is showing you here is, listen, here's my first example. Well, my question, what is this? What is that? What kind of faith is that? Well, James, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an illustration. Here's the poor person in great need that you're walking by. Here's the demons that actually actively acknowledge Christ but have a dead faith, and they can do nothing about that. Yet they believe and shudder. Oh, well, here's a great example, because it's a Jewish audience that he's talking to. Here's Abraham. Y'all all know about Abraham. Here's how this worked with Abraham. Righteousness, faith first, absolutely. Works proved that faith took hold. And then he says, oh, and there's another one over here, Rahab. She, too, showed the relationships between faith and work. He gives us one after another, so we can't dismiss this. We can't go. I don't think James is talking about living in dead faith. That's exactly what he's talking about. You can't deny it. Folks, Christians, we need to be active in our faith. We need to live our faith. This means the things in our faith, the inherent things in our faith, should be demonstrated, should be showing proof. It's proof of life. (laughs) Proof of life works complete faith. Don't ever think that you are not saved because of faith. Absolutely you are. But it's because of this faith that we do these wonderful things for God who has prepared us for them beforehand. He has created us and he wants us to do these things. We as Christians need to begin to demonstrate what we believe and this is what James is trying to drive home. So what I'm challenging all my brothers and sisters with today, as you exit this building, I want you to look at 14, and you have got to ask yourself that question. If we are going to get real in our Christianity, we have got to ask ourselves, hmm, what is my faith? What kind of faith do I have? Because I'm telling you, if you pray for conviction, God will convict you. If you pray for God to open your eyes, and the lack of faith or the lack of demonstration of your faith, God will present that to you. Christians, we live in a day and age where there are not, there's not a lot of demonstration of faith. It's getting down to the small few. Where are you at? That's the question I want you to ask yourself as you leave this church today. Whatever you're going to do, what kind of faith I have is it living or is it dead and if it's dead folks hands and knees pray to God God you got to change me I realize now that my faith is not being recognized it's unrecognizable God I need to demonstrate I need to show proof help me do that I am telling you God wants a changed life that stems from the faith you placed in him it's a changed life that he expects we're drawn we're called to that so ask that question because, folks, we need to be active. We need to demonstrate what we believe. That's the point of this text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, there are so many people in need right now. I just, I just want to lift everybody up, Lord, to you right now that's in great need. Financially, Lord. Health. Uh, medically, Father, like Brother Lynn was telling us about earlier. Father, we lift all these up that just need whole healing, Lord. Father God, please. Please. You know the details. You know the intricate details, Lord, of everybody who's calling out to you in pain and suffering right now. Lord, we pray for a healing over them all. Father, each and every one of us, each and every one of us, Father, I pray that you convict us today, that you convict us and make ourselves, force ourselves to ask us that question. Well, what is this, what faith, what kind of faith is this? Father, we need to get real about the faith. If we are truly gonna walk what we preach, walk what we talk. Father God, I pray that we get real with you. Father, make our hearts right. Correct us, Lord. Turn us around. That beautiful work, Father, you are sufficient in all things. You give us all things so that we can abound, so that we're able to provide these good works, these works that should be inherent, that should just come straight out of our faith. Father, help us see that. Help us demonstrate that. Father, we are calling out to you today for help. We need that, especially in this dark, crazy world, Lord. Help us stand out as salt. Help us stand out as lights, Father. And that's the demonstration of faith, Lord. That's a showing, the vindication of it, the proof of it, Father. I just pray that for every heart today, Lord. I pray you comfort those, Lord, that are out there sick, those that are traveling, Father. We pray for safety. Lord, we just pray for the rest of this service. And safety for the weak, Lord. And I just pray that hearts are convicted. I pray that hearts are changed. And I pray that faith becomes active. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything you do. In Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. If you will, please stand with us as we close by singing verse 1 and 4 of I Need Thee Every Hour.